Let's pray. Father, a word that is immutable, never silent, always going out with a purpose, and that purpose is always fulfilled. What shall that purpose be today? We pray, Lord, that your everlasting word would fall upon mortal ears and it would change us. Oh, that we would listen. Oh, Spirit, what will you say to the church today? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great upon the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I'll blot out from the earth the human beings I've created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But listen to this. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And then down to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make room in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its width 50, and its height 30. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and put the door of the ark in its side and make it with lower, second, and third decks. My beloved, the grass may wither, the flowers may fade, but the word of God lives on forever. Please be seated with God's peace this morning. Man. Now, I think what we know about Noah, we've learned from vacation, Bible school, and some Sunday school teaching, but I'm telling you that the passage here is so rich and so illustrative. It's a little bit of a downer, you know, as uh, Rebecca uh, played there uh, very briefly there, that real down minor chord, uh, and that low register, you know, uh, and that's I mean, that's the emotion that this kicks up, isn't it? That, you know, the earth has been corrupted by the activities of humankind. Men and women now have acted in their own manner. Uh, their own debasement now has, uh, the Hebrew idea here is that it has seeped into the very soil, the very soul of the earth, to the point where it is not redeemable any longer. And through all of these terrible activities of uh, of men and women and their behaviors and the like, now that the earth needs to be cleansed, and we see that through a flood. And what happens is that, as we see in Scripture uh, over and over again, there is a remnant. There is someone that remains. And in this particular case, it's Noah. We see later this remnant will also take the form of two tribes of Benjamin or Benjamin and Judah as the returning two tribes of the 12. The 10 had been lost. The two had returned as a remnant and they would provide the backdrop now for the coming of Jesus. But we see now that God is, is sorry. What does it mean for God to be sorry that he created us? What a terrible, terrible thing. But even in the midst of this terrible message to Noah, he is going to use Noah to be a source of redemption for all of humankind. Men and women are going to have 
uh, still an avenue of escape, that creation itself would be restored in a brand new, a brand new start, a brand new beginning from the animals that are issued from this ark as well. So you know the story. God has uh, approached Noah and said, I want you to build an ark. I want you to go ahead and build this cruise ship in the middle of a desert. And he gives them some exacting dimensions about how many decks and what to coat the outside of the hull, inside and out, and you know all the animals that he has to bring in. Now, one of the attendant questions that goes on, I think, throughout this scripture passage is the fact is, how do you know that it's really God's voice that is talking to Noah? Maybe Noah has seen you know, the panorama of everything around him and said, hey, you know, maybe I should build a ship. Maybe I should you know, do something really unusual like this and, and all that kind of stuff. We don't see that, though, in Scripture, do we? We see that God had favored Noah, had placed his hand upon him. And, and the idea here is to rest a gentle hand upon the shoulder of Noah to indicate favor. And, but the question remains, how do you know it's God's voice speaking to you? If you, no, you try to explain God's voice uh, to someone who's not a believer, they go, you know, uh, how's your medication going, right? But it's beyond that. And, I, you know, we have discussed or we've talked about this a lot, haven't we, about the fact that when we are still and, and know that he's God, that we regard prayer as a, a two-way conversation, is that when we turn off, we turn off the cacophony going on in here and blotted out that's going on all around us, then we are ripe for a conversation, that we are right to listen for the soft, still voice of God that may form in itself, it might be a nudge, it might be a continuous, persistent urge to do something that God sometimes places you in situations or circumstances of which you have already been, there's something that resonates about that. It might be a hospital room, it, it, might, be, uh, it might be in church, it might be in your home, but it is some place where now you are in the right position to learn about what God is trying to teach you. By the way, it's a unique message. It's a message for a purpose for you. Just like it was for Noah, just like it was for Abraham, just like it was for Moses, it is a unique voice, a unique urge, or whatever that might be. Now, when you've heard it, what do you do with it? You listen to it and obey it, and you do as God commands. How do I know that? Well, you can look at the sixth and seventh chapters of, I've had a catastrophe, by the way, in my Bible. Isn't that terrible? I need to get it recovered about 40 years of use, I guess. But what happens is that in Scripture we see these, these words. Verse 22 of chapter 6, Noah did this, build the ark, put all the animals in, in place. He did all that God commanded him, down to chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. You, you see the pattern that's developing here. Uh, we see also in chapter 7, and then in the ninth verse, the latter part of it, is God had commanded Noah, and then down into the 16th verse, the latter portion, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Okay? So you see that there is a pattern developing here in Noah's life, but it's also 
in this story for us is that we do what God commanded him because that's where we need to be. Over the last couple of weeks, I talked about God's will. How do you know that you're right in the middle of it? And then when you realize that you're in the middle of it, what do you do? Do you walk? Then you begin to deviate left or right? No, you stay in that path. And that is what they call righteousness, sadiq, right? That's the righteousness. And that's what Hebrews is, is uh, calling for in chapter 11, verse 7 is that Noah, not knowing exactly what was going to happen, obeyed God, and God imputed that to him as righteousness, of being, doing exactly the right thing, regardless of what you think outcome's going to be. I don't think fully, under, uh, under, I don't think Noah fully understood, would you, what it means to build an ark? Now think about how crazy you are. The neighbors are going, um, you want to do what? You want to cut down all of my trees here? Uh, and you, uh, you know, you want to help, uh, you want me to boil out some of this pitch for you? To do, to do what? You want me to build something that's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 to 50 feet in the beam? And you're going to just set it out here in the middle of the desert, and then it's going to rain? It hasn't rained more than half an inch in two years here. Yep, that's what I'm going to do. And regardless of the outcome, regardless of what people thought, the derision, the laughter, uh, you know, the poking and prodding at his family, you know, hey, Japheth, how I understand, Japheth, I understand that your dad's building a boat. You got to float it on an ocean of sand? No. No. But despite all that, he did what God commanded. He gathers all of the animals, some people say 16,000, where that number came from, or several million. I don't know where that came from either. They went two by two. There was also some uh, activity of some sacrificial animals that would be uh, placed in the ark, right? Uh, by the way, uh, Deb, or Ed, you can help me with this too. What would you have prevented Noah from getting in the ark? Yeah, what would you say? What, what would you rather prefer not to be in the ark? Mosquitoes is one. Uh, deer flies are another, right? Um, you know, anything like that, right? Uh, we, we could be done. Uh, you know, sand gnats, you're out of here. But that's not what happened, right? Notice how much care, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but notice how much God cares for the animals too. Matter of fact, if you read this passage, there's more about the care of the animals than there is about Noah. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because we read uh, in several places that, especially in Proverbs, we read about your righteousness is demonstrated by how you treat your animals. And so now they're all buttoned up. There's the pitter-patter of rain coming down. It's probably the best night's sleep they had, the, the rain beating down on that cypress-covered ark. Waters rise, and now they're pitching and rolling, pitching and rolling, pitching and rolling. The ark has no rudder. The ark has no rudder, so it is now being blown port and starboard, fore and aft. I know it, anybody been seasick before? Oh, yeah, I know what that's like. 20 miles out to sea uh, on a submarine on the surface, bobbing like a cork, 30 degrees port, 30 degrees starboard, 40 degrees forward, 40 degrees aft, trying to get underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, seasick. I don't know where we were. There it was in that compartment, seasick, seasick, 
seasick, didn't know how I was going to get there, when we are going to get there, or where we were exactly, did not know. That's what, that's what Noah was facing. That's what Noah was facing. Now the waters have come up to a height of, they say, five and a half miles. That's the height of a commercial airliner today, and it stayed that way. How long, how long will it last? How long will these storms last? How long will, buy, will they be pitched? Port and starboard, fore and aft, you're getting seasick yet. Seasick yet, your lives are like that sometimes. Port and starboard, fore and aft. When will the storms end? Well, when will they end? Oh, Lord, I have no rudder. I don't know what direction to go. Save me. Help me. But make no mistake that the ark is a sign of hope. It is a sign of hope and redemption, of a brand new beginning. And about six feet above Noah's head is that the only place that they can open now to see the weather. You can open it up sometimes, and sometimes it would just be pouring down rain. It would be blustery winds at other times, and then he opens it once, and then he sees daylight. He sees the sun for the first time, and then he's told to release the birds to fly, especially a dove that flies. Did you hear El Condor Pasa? Did you hear the lilting strains, especially in the high notes of the violin? And you can just picture that dove now, frightened unto her life and flying all around the ark until they see she sees a single or maybe a grove of olive trees that have just sprouted up out of the rock. And that dove goes and plucks a sprig of that olive branch a symbol of hope and peace. And the dove, of course, we associate with the Holy Spirit. And it comes down and descends on Noah's hand. Listen to what Friedrich Beekner said. Notice what Beekner says. Friedrich Beekner was a, is a great theologian, and he says this. This is a story of hope, is this ark. The place to look is Noah's face. The dove stands there with her delicate scarlet feet on the callous hands of Noah in his upturned palm. His cheek just touches her breast just enough to hear the panic in her tiny little heart. His eyes are closed, the lashes now watery wet. Only what now he weeps with this old clown is no longer anguish, but wild and irrepressible hope. Did you hear the second song that they played? The second piece, the lilting melody of this dove coming down. It is now in a place of security and solace and peace. Although terrified, now it is bearing something that is the beginning of a brand new covenant of hope and peace that's carried by this dove. And Noah looks at it with wonder and says, my storm is over. Our journey is nearly here. Now this ship of the desert, now ship of the sea, will be able to have a port. It's a story of hope for us, to be sure. That I wonder if that's what they play. That second piece would be the song of joy that they dance to. You bet. But you know, since time immemorial, the church has been viewed as an ark. The church has been viewed as a place of salvation and hope and mercy. It is a place where joy reigns, where we are not without a rudder. 
I teach the confirmands about the fact that this is a NAVE, N-A-V-E. I didn't know Summerhour personally, but I wonder if he had thought about how Wesley thought about an upside-down ship's hull. The nave is the place that we gather, the ship, the ark that we come to every single Sunday, and often more. That we come into this place knowing that there are storms out there. But we can come here in refuge and sanctuary, two by two, single, rich or poor, sick or well, hopeful, hopeless, weak, strong, to know that the nave that we celebrate, the ship that we have, does have a rudder, is not blown fore and aft, port and starboard, by a wind that will destroy her that is piloted with the still and sturdy hand of a master that will never leave us nor forsake us, that cares just as much as creation for creation as he does for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a place now where there might be turmoil and storm outside, but it's different in here. And by the way, it's not just one knave, but there are thousands of knaves making up something they call a navy, a navy of mighty ships for Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a time when we are settled that that door must come down, that that ark must release creation, that must be the forefront of a new beginning for the earth that Noah and his family stepping out knows that his journey and his, his mission is not complete. And so it is with this nave, this ark, that we must step out of that ark and proclaim the fact that we're a sailor in Jesus' navy. What then shall we do? What shall we listen for as our master, the captain, commands. My beloved, I've submitted all this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.